the single most important thing for me right now is a recognition that we started with Clean BC. Uh, this is this is not a climate plan per se. Well, it is, but it's more of an economic vision. What's critical to me that Alan Winter, the Innovation Commission, that the Emerging Economy Task Force, and BC Hydro, that these three organizations move in concert to actually enable innovation in Clean BC to take off. This is Vancouver Province columnist Mike Smith. And I'm Vancouver Sun columnist Rob Shaw. It's time to go in the house and go inside BC politics. All right, welcome back to another edition of the In the House podcast, and that's the voice of Andrew Weaver. I'm with Rob Shaw. Rob, Andrew Weaver is like, he's kind of like the power behind the throne in a lot of ways, isn't he? I mean, John Horgan's the premier, but without this guy propping him up, without Weaver being part of the deal, there's no NDP government. So The wizard if, behind the curtain. Yeah, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Uh, you sat down with Weaver, part of your annual series of sit-downs with the main party leaders here at the end of the year. Um, when, he, when he's talking there about uh, starting with Clean BC, this is actually kind of a this new climate change plan that the government's brought out is, is kind of like a marquee achievement for him, I guess, is the way he's looking at it. Yeah, there's lots of rumblings now about, so what do the Greens do now that much of the confidence and supply agreement, which we call CASA, yeah. um, that allows the NDP to govern, has been enacted, according to the Greens. And we hear we heard Andrew Weaver off the top there say, well, he wants, most important thing for him is this idea of transforming the economy through an innovation commission an emerging economy task force, and then BC Hydro. And you put all these three things together and you drive the economy with all sorts of new green technology, I guess. I, To be totally honest with you, Smitty, I have not heard about what the Innovation Commission is doing uh, or the Emerging Economy Task Force. They're, they're not very high-profile, on-the-radar um, items. They were in the green platform. The Greens are clearly happy they got them. They're very important to the Greens. I don't know where we're going with that, and I don't know if the NDP is going to listen to whatever they, well, they come up with, but they seem important to the Greens. This CASA agreement, as you mentioned, confidence in supply, and what that means just for the benefit of listeners, confidence means that they're, they're, not, they're going to continue to vote in confidence of the government. They're not going to bring the, the NDP government down. The supply side of it means that they're going to vote in favor of the government's budget which would trigger, if they didn't, that would trigger the downfall of the government. So this is basically a document to continue to support the NDP through through the next election. And in that document, there are a number of deliverables, and one of them was a, a some sort of a, a climate change plan. So we have this Clean BC plan now, which, which appears to be a very uh, ambitious document to lower uh, greenhouse gas emissions in, in the province, uh, the usual targets that we've seen over many years. But how are they going to do it? They, they've talked about, for example, by is it by the year 2030 or 2040 that they would have... 2030. All, by 2030, every car sold in BC would have to be a zero emission vehicle. Um, very ambitious, ambitious targets, right? Weaver has talked a lot about how, look, we can achieve our climate change goals and we can have a robust economy at the same time. So this is the thing that he, he continually... Uh, reinforces. So is this Weaver saying like, I want to see how we're going to get economic growth going with this plan? Is that what he's, is that his main It seems to be. Yeah. Yeah. He wants to, he views the clean BC plan as an actual kind of economic change for BC. And one of the examples he gave me is that we don't want BC hydro going out there and building windmills uh, or, uh, 
you know, all of this new. He, he really doesn't like BC Hydro basically mm. driving the clean agenda. He would prefer to see smaller independent power producers. Private at, sector. Private sector. At better, yeah. who have the knowledge, at better rates than the current IPPs are giving hydro on, on other hydro projects. But he, he wants to see that emerging economy, as he puts it. And so one of the things he's going to push is is through this renegotiation of the CASA agreement. So he's Andrew Weaver's saying, look, we did well with this for the first 18 months. Uh, why don't we renegotiate it? Let's listen to what he says about that and then okay. uh, and then talk about it. If you look at confidence and supply agreement, uh, a lot of the things that we said we would do collaboratively have been done or have been put in place. Things like banning the, the money, uh, union and corporate donations at all levels of government, done. Introduction of a clean BC plan, done. Uh, the Fair Wage Commission uh, basic income pilot, set in stage, things like that. Uh, and so one of the things that we've spoken with the BCNDP about is that, okay, we really need to get together after, you know, early in January and have a discussion about where our shared values moving forward would, would take us. And uh, so, you know, it's not so much negotiating the agreement for a, for a uh, uh, stable government. No, we're, we're committed to make this work. It, it's uh, grounded in our, in our confidence supply agreement, the statement of uh, good, good faith and no, and no surprises. We need to have a discussion to talk about moving forward because so much in CASA has been addressed. So he's basically saying there that, <clears throat> that he's not going to bring the government down, that this is not about renegotiating whether or not the Greens support the NDP. They support the NDP, they support the government. They're just trying to figure out some new priority items, which I guess makes sense because um, the Greens don't have a lot of leverage at this point. And it's always been the argument that we've had that if you're the Greens and you're not going to go with the Liberals, you hate the Liberals, you can't even cooperate on, with them on simple amendments to legislation. Yeah, on stuff they I, supposedly agree on. They yeah, can't how do you negotiate with the NDP yeah. to get your way when the NDP know you don't have any other options. I think what this is about is Weaver maybe being a little bit concerned that he's looking a little bit too much like John Horgan's lapdog here. You know, it's like at every single step of the way, there have been a number of things that this government has done that Weaver's done his old big bad wolf thing where he, he does the huff and puff, but he, he never will blow the NDP's house down. He will never bring the government down, even though he threatens to, on occasion, bring the government down, but he, but he simply won't. And after you go back to that well a number of times, I think you start to look a little silly, like on things like the Site C Dam, um, ride hailing, uh, minimum wage. Uh, there, there have been a number of examples where Weaver has been really upset and mad at Horgan and the NDP government, and then are you going to bring them down over it? Oh, no, no, you never go that far. I think in the minds of the public, he started to look a little silly. And maybe what this is, a, what this is about is him recognizing that he does look a little too subservient to, to Horgan here, and he wants some more credit. So I think maybe he's getting an earful from some of his own people too. So I think politically, he's trying to, he's trying to do something where it looks like he's achieving something. Mm -hmm. Right, do you think? I think, well, <clears throat> I think so. I mean, that's always the Greens. The Greens have several problems. One is, if there was an election, uh, how many of their voters were actually uh, disgruntled liberals from the last election who didn't like Christy Clark, who voted Green? So I don't think they know the answer to that. I don't think any of us know. 
That's one problem. And the other problem is, are they really bleeding away New Democrat support on the environmental side? Are they stronger than they've ever been? Or are people looking at them and going, you know what, NDP, NDP government's not doing that badly. I, they yeah. don't seem like a yeah. bunch of radicals, as you yeah. and I talked about with Andrew Wilkinson in last week's podcast. They don't seem like a bunch of wild-eyed radicals. So maybe the NDP government's fine, and we don't. they don't even need that green moderating influence. And you're right, he's trying to stake out some deliverables that he can yep. point to his base and say, right. look, we got the NDP to do this, this, and right. this. We renegotiated CASA, and we got X, Y, Z. That's why we're relevant in right. the political sphere. Right. This all centers around the idea that we may, in fact, have an election, depending on who you ask. Andrew Wilkinson told us uh, last week, yeah, he thinks there's a high likelihood of an election 2019. Let's listen to Andrew Weaver's uh, thoughts on that. Okay. The Liberals still believe we could have a snap election in 2019, that for some reason the you know NDP-Green partnership could fall apart. I, is there any... I don't see that happening. Um, you know, I, I look at the Nanaimo by-election. Uh, we're really excited about our nomination race and, and participating in that. Uh, you know, I, 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 no matter what happens, that won't change the, the makeup of the legislature. I, I don't know why the Liberals would want an election. Um, to be honest, I think they people looking at the Liberals right now will wonder, what are you standing for? Where are you in all these issues? And I think they'd honestly be cremated in an election. I think... A first-past-the-post election right now would be beneficial for the NDP, it would be beneficial for the Greens in terms of number of seats. Uh, I think the likely outcome is an NDP majority government. Uh, why the BC Liberals would want to force that, I have no idea, rather than them actually refiguring out who they are, what they stand for, developing a platform and policy that's actually puts, you know, puts people at the centre again. Until the BC Liberals shake some of their old guard, they're not going to change. And that's just their problem to deal with. Okay, he clearly thinks that an election is unlikely in 2019. The Liberals would be cremated if they're, which I, I don't know about that, but I think I think what's interesting uh, for me in there is that I think, you know, the outcome right now would be an NDP majority government. That's Andrew Weaver's thoughts of if we had a snap election right now, which would be not that great for the Greens because they would lose their ability to influence the NDP and a majority NDP government would probably just start running around like well, a majority liberal government doing whatever it wants. This is one of the reasons why you'll never see Weaver bring the NDP government down. He'll he'll continue to do the huff and puff thing, but he'll never blow the house down because for precisely that reason. I mean, it was a bit of a, a, a long shot that he has ended up in this position. You know, think about before the last election, what would the odds have been of a minority government outcome? I mean, obviously the, the polls were close. But for the the Green Party, electing just a small number of MLAs, just three MLAs, which is probably the best result they could have hoped for, to have those three MLAs holding the balance of power in minority government is a very kind of unlikely outcome. And it's, it's why that last election that we went through was so extraordinary mm-hmm. for so many reasons. So this is the best possible outcome for this guy. He's in the catbird seat. He's got this. He's enjoying a lot of this influence, and he's, he's holding the balance of power. Any election would likely probably not return another minority government. I mean, the odds are it be a majority one way or the other, Liberal, n- NDP or Liberal. And he certainly doesn't want to no. lose the position that he's got. That's why uh, this next question I asked him, <laughs> I basically said, look, Andrew, are you worried at all that there is someone in the NDP who might look at the fact that the economy is doing pretty well, the government is still fairly popular, it's appearing to try and tackle some of the big issues, housing and childcare, and depending on 
the outcome of uh, of certain events. Maybe they just decide to uh, plunge us into a snap election and shake off the shackles of the green power sharing agreement. Let's hear what he said about that. I, I actually, you know, I don't. I might have worried about that a year ago. Um, I what I think if you talk to people like John and Carol and uh, Selena Robinson, George Heyman, the various ministers, uh, Shane Simpson, is. It's actually, we didn't know how this would work when we started. It's actually worked very well. And I think that they would suggest that, uh, I mean, I don't want to put merge in their mouth, but we actually have led to better public policy because of the healthy tension that we have. I look at the speculation tax as an example, or speculation and vacancy tax now. Um, if it had been implemented as was articulated in the early budget in February, we'd have a very different situation than what was actually passed after amendments and after discussions through the summer. So I think that it's tough, but we, le- we get better public policy when we have opposition parties working, pushing government, but doing so in a manner that wants to advance public policy as a goal, not gotcha politics as a goal. So I, I, I don't think they would do that because I think they like what's happening now too. We have a, I mean, honestly, we have a great working relationship. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I like John Horgan. I, you know, I'd like to go for a beer with John and just talk about like lacrosse for heaven's sake. I mean, I, I quite enjoy him. I Bob um, Dewar. I really like Bob and the ministers. George Heyman. We've done so much work with George. Great minister. Uh, you know, uh, David Eby. A lot of time for David Eby and, and and so forth. There's some really good ministers there, and so I'm quite pleased with where we are. So clearly, the line from the Greens is that. They feel the NDP doesn't want to shake off the power-sharing agreement because they get better public policy through, as he puts it, this healthy tension they have. Nice spin. Well, (laughs) I'm sure the Greens believe it, and I'm sure that they do actually manage to execute the healthy tension to get changes, small changes, from the NDP. But I am positive that some old war horses in the New Democrats, including in the Premier's office right now, are, are figuring out if it's possible and if it would be plausible and if it would be a good move to plunge us into an early election and get a majority mandate. Uh, you know, I, I think the NDP are, are pretty pleased about the whole situation where they're at right now as the year draws to a close because if there was a snap election in the new year, which is not impossible, if the NDP somehow lost that seat up in Nanaimo in a by-election we're going to have coming up here pretty soon or if somehow this whole speaker controversy with the sergeant-at-arms and the clerk getting marched out of the legislature, if that somehow or another triggered uh, Daryl Plekis's resignation as speaker, again, that's another one that could change the balance of power in the, in the House potentially and bring the government down. So there are a couple of, um, of tipping points that, that could trigger an election. If it happened, I think the NDP really wouldn't be... I think Horgan himself, John Horgan, seems pretty confident about where he is right now. They've got the budget balanced... Uh, they've done some stuff that's been popular, and Wilkinson, the, the liberal leader, has proven to be not exactly setting the world on fire. I think Horgan likes where he is right now. On the other hand, if if it continues th- through with a minority government, I think they're fine with that too. A lot a lot depends on what's going to happen in this uh, referendum on proportional representation, right? We're going to get the results of that pretty soon. Yep. If pro rep passes here. Um, that kind of changes everything, doesn't it? Yeah, it'll be a big uh, grenade in the battlefield of BC politics for sure. But, yeah. you know, part of what we do at, at this time of year is we kind of try and look back a little bit on how everything played out. And you already touched on this uh, earlier, but we're going to talk to uh, Andrew Weaver a bit about the low point of the year. And it hits on several topics that you mentioned, Site C, mm-hmm. LNG, and the climate plan, and how that's kind of evolved. And let's hear what he has to say, and then we can talk okay. about that. 
We still stand with our with our lack of support for Site C. We would argue that it is fiscally reckless to do it that way. Um, there, you could bring on power incrementally. That was a decision the BCNDP uh, made. You know, we were very disappointed in that decision. Where the lowest point um, in since May of 2017 has been was certainly in was it January or February when John Horgan suddenly announced that he was going off to do a tour of Asia to stump for LNG. Now I was sitting in the U.S. on holiday at the time when I found that out, and I thought that that was a rather big surprise to find out. Uh, that was not so much uh, articulated in our no surprises clause, and we were quite upset. And so we had, you know, you will know that I tweeted out at that point what I called an uncertainty bomb. I just took off the grenade bomb. I threw it in the air and said, you know, you're going to keep this up. It's going to be, uh, we're not going to continue to support you. My colleagues were with me on that. Um, so what, what we were able to do is they realized at that point that, oh, they can't govern like a majority because this is not going to work if they continue to do that. We had a major, that was a, you know, if you look for the lowest point, it was that point. That was a low point. And we basically, uh, there was a big hole there. We spent many months trying to, to, to get to a state where we could actually, um, you know, come to, to a recognition that you can't start to talk LNG and stump for that and also stop, stump for, you know, reducing greenhouse gas emissions. There's an inconsistency there. The first step was the BC Greens um, uh, pushed and got the Minister of Environment to introduce the legislation for the legislated targets in the spring. The NDP were going to do that in the fall with the plan. We said, no, you need to signal out now the direction you're going, and they did. So the targets were put in place. Uh, and then we worked very hard, my staff, me, and my caucus, with the BCNDP, and in particular the civil service, to get us to uh, a stage where we could actually have the clean BC. So that's many, you know, many, 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 many hours of work. Uh, that plan, I'm really proud with, because, so I focused on that. Given their decision on LNG, we got this plan. That plan gets us three-quarters of the way there. That plan was able to emerge from the hole that happened in February. What was really exciting was to see John Horgan actually, during the course of this year, really switch from, from, I think he suddenly understood that dealing with climate, greenhouse gases, is really not, it's not a, we don't want to talk about it as a climate plan, it's an economic agenda. And he got that. So, this is a really interesting I think topic for me, because remember at the end of 2017, we ended the year with the Greens furious at the NDP decision to proceed with Site C. And the NDP said, look, it's not how we would have done it, but the, the dam is too far along. We can't cancel it now. Then that leads into the Greens even more upset that John Horgan, as you heard Andrew Weaver say there, goes for a trade mission uh, to Asia on LNG. He calls this <laughs> the lowest point because he doesn't believe that LNG and the pollution caused by LNG can be accommodated in the government's plan to reduce pollution. Somehow we go through that all the way into the end of 2018, where Andrew Weaver and John Horgan are standing on a stage together announcing a climate plan that accommodates the pollution of LNG and promises to electrify the province with the power of Site C. So both mm -hmm. of the things the Greens opposed, but it's now part of a plan that the Greens support. And you heard Andrew Weaver kind of talk a bit about that. But for me, it's an amazing 12-month journey that the Greens went on to get yeah. to where they are. It's kind of the irony of this whole thing is is rather rich that you have the Site C Dam. Let's start with that. This is a project that Andrew Weaver at one point actually supported years ago and then changed his position and was vehemently opposed to it. And the NDP position going into the election was also opposed to the Site C Dam. 
And yet here they are now saying that, well, the thing is too far down the track, so they're going to continue to build it anyway. The irony of it, I think, is that the power that would come from a Site C dam is integral to this climate change plan, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. like, you know, they, they need this low emission energy. If they're going to electrify the, the, the province's economy, they're going to bring in all these zero emission electric battery powered vehicles. They're going to encourage businesses and residences to switch to electric heat and that, and that kind of thing. They need clean electricity. And a lot of that's going to come from the Site C dam down the road. So, Here's this big mega project that they both said that they were opposed to, and yet it underpins arguably the the, the marquee de- thing that they've they've delivered so far, and that's this uh, climate change plan. And as, also- as for LNG, um, you know, this is another one where Horgan had been very hostile to LNG. The LNG, the, the NDP had been somewhat critical of some of the other LNG projects. This is now the the number one best thing that Horgan has done in term politically mm-hmm. is is delivering this project. This is the biggest uh, private sector investment, not only in BC history, in Canadian history. And in every sit-down interview Horgan's done at the end of the year, that's one of the things he's pointed to. Look what we did. We brought this LNG plant home. So, you know, two big projects that looked a little um, dodgy at the beginning of the year, didn't have a whole lot of political support, end up being very important. Well, they, the were, they were key parts of the the Greens' decision to go with the NDP and not the Liberals, because the Liberals would not budge on Site C, and they wouldn't budge on their pursuit of LNG. And it is ironic now that 18 months in, we have an NDP government that ended up doing both of the things that the Greens refused to support the Liberals for. And the Greens are trying to make the best of a bad situation for them, I guess, with a climate plan that they can still get behind and the idea of transforming the economy. But if you were to tell Andrew Weaver during the negotiations with the two parties, that by supporting the NDP, you're going to get a government that built LNG and built the Site C Dam. He would have lit his hair on fire, yeah, right. I think. <laughs> and yet here we are. It's the crazy world of BC politics. The low point of the year, and then what Andrew Weaver, I think, thinks is one of the high points of the year, all within 2018 around Site C, LNG, and this kind of crazy climate. Well, that, well now he's saying that we can build this LNG Canada plant and still meet our climate change targets. Uh, one thing to keep in mind, though, is... The project was approved for for what they call a four-train LNG plant. A train refers to the series of liquefaction uh, processes in in, uh, liquefying natural gas. So one train is is a massive part of an LNG project. This project is approved for a four-train plant. Now, the company has said, and the consortium behind it has said, we're going to build a two-train plant to start with. Maybe they expand it down the road. Now, if you try to pin down... Uh, Weaver or or the, or the energy minister Michelle Mangal, as I as I tried to as I asked her about this the other day, what if they decide to build a four train plant later, expand the plant? Doesn't that blow your whole climate change numbers out of the water? They get very uncomfortable when you start asking them about that. So, you know, th- that's something to be they've they've just kicked down the road. And this, speaking of pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, pay no attention to the fact that this giant LNG plant could double in size mm-hmm. potentially later according to the company. They don't want to talk about that part of it. And then the other thing that that no one really wants to talk about with the climate plan is that it's built around the idea that we need aggressive electrification in the province. So in translation, that's you, me, everybody else in BC converting as much as they can to electricity. Get rid of your oil furnace. Get rid of the natural gas furnace you bought a few years ago with a rebate because it was high efficiency and the price of oil was so high and this was going to be a great lifelong furnace for you. 
and get back onto electric baseboard heats. Well, the, the heaters. The first problem with that is hydro rates are insane. Yes. And most people have moved away from electric heat because the bill is monstrous. Yeah. And there is no sign from BC Hydro that rates are coming down. Hydro, you know, we saw the NDP tried to get hydro to do a rate freeze in the yeah. past year. Yeah. We're unable to do that because the Utilities Commission, the independent regulator, said hydro's finances won't accommodate that. So the climate plan is built around electrification. That's built around you and I switching to electricity. That's built around you and I paying more for our heating. And the New Democrats are going to have to wrestle with that. I know Andrew Weaver and John Horgan, they don't like that framing. They say, yeah. this is not about a climate plan that costs you more money because right. we're going to incentivize you through heat pumps and building retrofits. And it's possible. But in the whole idea of this is built around electricity right. for a power corporation that is financially burdened by massive amounts of debt and will never be lowering your hydro rates anytime soon. So I think that's something the climate plan is going to have to wrestle with, too. How do you think Weaver's been doing in terms of his relations with the NDP? I know you asked him about that, too, right? <laughs> it's it's, it's a, a great quote from Andrew Weaver. Have a, have a listen to this and his relationship with the NDP. I like to find analogies. Let's, in 2017, I can Im imagine that we have this BC Green family, or the NDP might imagine that they have a BC NDP family. And so into that family, suddenly we adopted an outsider. And back in the end of 2017, the family dynamics was pretty uncomfortable. Like, we didn't quite know how this adoption is going to work. Everyone's struggling to figure out where they place in the family dynamics. By the end of 2019, we're one big family again, is that we have a very good relationship. Uh, I feel that I can, uh, I can talk openly with ministers, and I feel that there's a trust there. Uh, I feel that we can put our concerns on the table, and they, they know like when, like we're not trying to be. Excuse the expression. We're not trying to be dicks. We're trying to advance good public policy. I know that makes good radio. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll edit it out. Yeah, you, well, let me say that again. <laughs> so we're not trying to to. I mean, it's so descriptive. No, it's fine. You can go it's with so dicks. Go ahead. Yeah, so we're not trying to be dicks about this. What we're trying to, and I say, so they, we're trying to advance good public policy. They know that, and they listen to us because of that. We're not trying to play gotcha politics. So, for example, on the spec tax, you know, we, 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 those, the, the amendment to treat Canadians the same is, for me, that was just, this was not, this was not us trying to just stick it to. This is something that we believed fundamentally in and, and were able to justify with, 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 trip, um, uh, with statements we received from people across Canada and examples that this was critical, that we, we be, be, we're not trying to derail your process, but you've got to do this because of this reason, that reason. And they listen. And, and so it's, it's, you know, that we're, we're, we're in a good place. Uh, who knows how that's going to move forward? I think, you know, it's, it's a lot nicer to start at a good place and move forward. And it was a lot more difficult, like this time last year, we're starting in a very uncomfortable place and moving forward. So, so you know, I, and I think, you know, that's, I, well, we'll see how that happens. Well, this is a family-friendly podcast, but I think I guess we're allowed to say dicks on it. So, I guess so. There's, so there, the analogy that he's using is this green family that's uh, the, the NDP green family has adopted someone, and they're trying to get used to to part of that. And and the NDP listened to him because they are advancing good public policy and not being dicks. I guess I guess that's true. I think I I certainly get the impression that the relationships between Andrew Weaver, George Heyman. Um, David Eby, a lot of cabinet ministers are quite strong now that if they had, you know, kind of some bumps early in the road, they're actually 
uh, fairly strong. Whether that is translating into policy changes, I guess, is what we're debating here. But they seem to be getting along on the, on the surface quite well. I mean, one of the things I guess they want to tell the public is that they're delivering good government together. And one of the things that Horgan has stressed in some of his year-end interviews is that uh, he's governing with a very sort of narrow uh, minority government. He needs the Green Party support, and that has forced him to work harder and to deliver policies that are more nuanced, um, give and take a little bit. Now, I think I think there's some a lot of political spin going on with that. I think typically the NDP have got most of what they want out of this agreement, and I think Weaver has, in some ways, looked like he got he signed a sucker deal here and has been manipulated a little bit, which I think is why he wants to renegotiate the deal. But certainly, they want to give the impression to the public that. They're compromising with each other, and they're delivering great government as a result. I think that's a positive message in the uh, the referendum we just went through as well, and, the, and certainly the Greens are hoping that proportional representation ends up being the winning result in this referendum. We're going to find out soon. But here's where I think the you know uh, the whole thing kind of fall, that argument kind of falls apart a bit. You never see Weaver ever willing to work with the Liberals on anything. And I thought the best example of that happened late in the year this year when Weaver was upset about we, we don't have Uber, we don't have Lyft, we don't have these other ride-hailing companies that he has supported for years. He went along with the NDP on this extremely restrictive uh, business model that the NDP have brought in where they're going to cap the number of drivers and it's going to be a very restrictive thing. Uber and Lyft are now threatening to walk from BC because the, the plan is so restrictive. The Liberals were proposing a ride-sharing regimen that pretty much matched what Weaver wanted. Basically, a, you know, a much a much less regula- regulated system that would have pleased Uber very very well if if they had approved it. And yet he won't do it. He won't work with the Liberals here under any circumstances. No, there's a whole lack of crazy excuses why. Like, yeah. they don't get 24 hours notice of amendments, and yeah. the amendments aren't put through the legislative drafters, and yada, yada. You can go on and on and on. But the reality is they just will not work together. And no. I think it's a the idea that people have out there that we need proportional representation so that we can get a functioning nonpartisan government like the one that we have now in the legislature is nonsense because it's just as dysfunctional here as it was before. You yeah. will never see the cats and dogs, the liberals and greens get together to cooperate on anything no. because despite what you hear about good evidence-based policy decisions, it's about politics. The Greens yeah. and the Liberals, for their own reasons, don't want to cooperate. The Liberals don't want to look like they're making a minority government work, a minority parliament. Right. Right. They don't want to present the idea that proportional representation could work by partnering up with the Greens. The Greens don't want to tick off the NDP by amending the bills that are important to them um, and undercutting them with and giving the Liberals victories on, on that. And so it's just the same dysfunctional legislature with different colors here uh, and that's why they don't seem to work together at all all right interesting comments from weaver who do we got up next week we're gonna yeah we're gonna chat with premier john horgan and the year uh on that uh you'll be at home full of turkey and eggnog (laughs) and then you'll want to listen to some bc politics and so subscribe to the podcast you get a ding in your email box and in your stocking there just after christmas and uh, and we'll chat with you then okay talk to you then (laughs) 